Welcome to the One Within All to Another episode of Interverse Podcast. I'm going to try not to overdo the introduction here because there's so much ground to cover today with the return of Sensei Dave. David Whitehead is an incredible superhero podcaster. He works with Michael Tesserion over on Unslaved. I've collaborated with them quite a few times. And David's also got his own channel, Truth Warrior which is, of course, banned from all the mainstream, lamestream stuff. <laughs> you can find him on the alternative platforms, particularly, I think, Rockfin's a good choice, like, uh, like you find Interverse there. We are going to be covering his documentary series, Cult of the Medics, once again. David and I spoke last year in December, about exactly six months ago. And I know that you guys out there are hungry for this information because that was one of the most widely shared and talked about episodes of Interverse for the whole year. And I had a lot of fun talking to David last time. He gets fired up. He's super passionate. His flow state in explaining the things that he's learned is impeccable and supreme. So today we're going to be discussing chapter six, which came out after our talk, although it has a lot to do with the things that we did talk about in the previous show. And we're going to get into chapter eight as well. The underground, the connection between the mafia and the media and the medics, (laughs) words that are actually etymologically linked quite closely. Also very interested to get Dave's take on recent scandemic developments involving monkeys. (laughs) And of course, we're going to have to discuss. Going to have to discuss Venom Tech, man. It hasn't really come up on my show yet. I'm not. I, I understand it conceptually and it checks all the boxes. I resisted the idea at first. But now that I've dove into it, I'm just like, wow, this could be quite a bridge between the divide and conquer strategy of it's terrain, it's germs. It's terrain, it's germs. I feel like we need to explore this option. It fits the symbolism too perfectly. So we're going to be discussing these uh, possibly immortal vampires that rule the world. <laughs> oh, man. So check out David, uh, cultofthemedics.com, and of course, Truth Warrior and Unslaved. There's so much there. But David, welcome, my buddy. How you doing? Gents, you always have the best intros, brother. It's so good to see you. You're looking great. And uh, thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely, dude. So where do you want to start with all this? I gave you a lot of places that we want to go. I'd love for you to just take us away and then I'll kind of guide the ship as we go. Well, how about this? Why don't we get the monkeypox scandemic out of the way? Because it's fresh on my mind and it'll kick off our conversation because then we can explain just how deep this rabbit hole really goes. Um, so whenever you're ready, Chance, go ahead and bring up that link. Here it is. All right. So I just want to go through this as quick as possible. I hope everybody goes and looks into this on their own. Uh, before I dive into this one, I want to remind people about how if we think back to 9-11, there were all kinds of war games and uh, exercises that were going on simulating the events of 9-11 during 9-11. And I thought that was really interesting. You could also think of the London bombing where they were also doing drills about bombs in subway stations when they got bombed in a subway station. And then, of course, we have the infamous Event 201, which took place in October of 2019, where they did a, quote, tabletop exercise discussing the scenario, the exact scenario uh, that unfolded shortly thereafter in 2020 about this whole scandemic that we're living through. And now here we have the monkey box. 
the monkeypox fear porn is starting to really kick up. It seemed to kind of go up and then it kind of vanished in the headlines a little bit because it had to compete with Pride Month. But now it's starting to come back. And uh, I found this paper here. It was actually put up by Clay Clark on timetofreeamerica.com. And I thought, whoa, he's got some decent sources on there. So I pulled it up. I started looking into it. And here it is. And just take note of the date that this particular exercise, they're calling it another tabletop exercise, took place. It was in November of 2021. And it's strengthening global systems to prevent and respond to high consequence biological threats. And it's the results from the 2021 tabletop exercise conducted in partnership with the Munich Security Conference. And of course, when you get into the people that funded this and put it on, you'll start to see some very familiar names, but that's another podcast. But Chance, if we go ahead and go down to page 12, if we could. Now, I can't really, I'm going to pull this up. I can see it a little bit closer here, just so I make sure I get it right. And uh, there it is. All right. Actually, right before page 12, that's fine. I'll just read this off really quick. It's, I think, I'm not sure what page this is, but it says this. Although national and global leaders are appropriately focused on the immediate demands of the COVID-19 response, the international community cannot postpone implementing the steps necessary to protect against the future biological threats. This must include the recognition that while naturally emerging emerging pandemics continue to pose a significant threat due to climate change, of course, uh, the next global catastrophe could be caused by the deliberate misuse of the tools of modern biology or by a laboratory incident. (laughs) So they're, of course, not going to say that the first pandemic was a laboratory incident or possibly all the flus we've ever known. Uh, But this one could very well be something that they cooked up in a lab. Uh, That's what they're basically talking about. So just wanted to highlight that. And uh, don't forget, they have to tell you everything before they do it to you. Um, And so then we go to page 12, which is what we're looking at here. And it says the this discussion was organized into three sequential moves corresponding with scenario developments, followed by a roundtable discussion of broader biosecurity and pandemic preparedness issues. The step-by-step approach to revealing scenario developments, so it's a scenario, reflected the limitations of information available to real-world decision-makers as well as the resulting uncertainty associated with a pandemic of unknown origin, even though they're practicing it. Um, So here we go. Number one, check out the date again, guys. This was their scenario. Okay, so they plan it. They do a big dress up rehearsal and then they practice it. Okay, so in their scenario, there was an attack. It was a biological weapons attack that took place or takes place in this fictional world on May 15th, 2022. Where are we right now? We're June. We're close to the middle of June. We're June the 10th, 2022. So this one, when did we start hearing about monkeypox? I think it was around May, wasn't it? That's how, and that's how I remember it. That's how I remember it. And then, uh, of course, there was this, it corresponds with this June 5th date. So look at this. The scenario was, it wasn't another type of respiratory virus. It wasn't anything. It was actually monkeypox. Monkeypox outbreak in Brenia. 1,421 cases for deaths. This is what takes place on their May 15th date. No international warnings or advisories. And, and you'll notice there wasn't any 
any actual drastic steps taken, although we do hear the drum beats of, oh, we got the only thing that will stop the monkeypox is mass and the social distancing and closing down Western capitalism. Um, and then, of course, the key issues were international alert and warning systems, benefits and need to early risk assessment, blah, blah, blah. But then move to scenario two. Now we've got so we moved into January 10th of 2023. So they're projecting into their future fictitious timeline here. We'll see how fictitious it is. 83 countries affected, 70 million cases, 1.3 million deaths, monkeypox engineered to be vaccine resistant. National responses, effects of early action, international supply chain challenges that are happening right now. Uh, key issues, benefits of predetermined triggers for national response, international supply chain challenges, etc. And then May 10th of 2023. So a year, almost a year after their scenario starts, 480 million cases, 27 million deaths, revelation of terror group origins, infiltration of civilian biolab, key issues, biosecurity and governance of dual use bioscience research. Dual and then use, December first the scenario, 3.2 billion cases, 271 million deaths. On and on we go. Let me just make sure. Did they do the, the ID thing in it? You know, okay, that's later down the road. We can cut it off now. I want people to go read it. I just wanted to show that to you that in great detail with future projections of what they would anticipate, they planned the monkeypox scenario. And lo and behold, what's starting to creep more into the headlines right now. So I just thought we'd kick it off with that. Yeah, it's good to know that they run the same playbook eternally, forever and ever. Yeah, that's what they do. It's a game of cat and mouse or monkey and mongoose, I guess. And uh, now here we are. They, we are just so the COVID pandemic is coming apart at the seams everywhere you look. I mean, Chance, you and I, I, I mean, I know for, for myself, I've been looking at this from day one. So have you, and we've been interviewing different people. Everybody's coming to their different conclusions about what the origin is, how it really functions. Is it real? Is it, is it partly real? What's the thing? It doesn't matter. They lied to us and they utilized it as a means to implode the economy, to, uh, install new people into office that would continue this agenda to use it as Klaus Schwab says, as a great opportunity, you know, to install this great reset, which is just the new world socialist order rebranded as stakeholder capitalism. And there's also, in my opinion, a massive depopulation agenda. That is anybody you got to stop. People need to really just look at that. Look at the history of the people that said there's too many humans on the planet and how they wanted to wipe people out and look at what's actually happening. So um, as that whole thing is coming apart, there's lawsuits out the wazoo. There's even some lawsuits that have been winning in Canadian courts, which has been a great sign for me personally. Um, there's, it's just coming apart. People have had enough. I was even speaking to friends of mine who were totally against me this whole time, who got triple jabbed. And now them and their whole families are continually getting COVID or getting the symptoms of COVID, whatever that ends up being. And uh, they're telling me, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. And I got sick anyways. And I went, you know, what's really weird. I didn't take the shot. Not even one. I didn't wear a mask. I hugged as many human beings as possible in the last two years. And I'm not sick. And if I got sick, I dealt with it fine. And I'm fine. So 
the whole narrative is gone, what they were telling us. So they had all these other things coming up. You got war in Ukraine, you got gas prices, you got all the stuff going on. And in the background, you started to hear the rumblings of this monkeypox because I think they need to do the bait and switch and they need to keep the population terrorized by anything. Anything will do, but they're really milking this pandemic thing. So they're um, trying to keep us terrorized so that they can continue this takeover of all of these countries to install a health technocracy. And that's really the heart of why I think this series that I've been working on, Cult of the Medics, is really important for people to check out. And I think the timing is not coincidental that I was inspired to do it in this time because this information about the history of this medical industrial complex, how these globalists work, um, is really, really important. Also bringing in the occult element of all of this. So that's kind of uh, what I've been looking at in a nutshell, but I don't know where you want to go from there, Chance. Oh, there's a lot of places to go. I think what I want to start with is how this goes back so much farther than just pandemics. And you make a really likely assessment in Cult of the Medics that the environmental crisis that was hyped up for decades was actually just not just plain unsuccessful in terms of getting people to the level of fear and acceptance of totalitarian control that was needed. And so there's a bait and switch, like you said, from environmental crisis to pandemics is the boogeyman as something to trade freedom for security against. And I particularly, I particularly liked the whole like scary computer readout thing from the seventies that the club of Rome did called the world one forecast. That was, uh, that was pretty interesting. So maybe that can lead us into talking about the club of Rome a little mm-hmm. bit here and their involvement. And of course the all roads go back to Rome. You have John Coleman, the eminent uh, scholar saying, the Club of Rome is a conspiratorial umbrella organization, a marriage between Anglo-American financiers and the old black nobility families of Europe, particularly the so-called nobility of London, Venice, and Genoa. So we could talk about the black nobility, the Club of Rome, their connection to intel agencies, maybe starting out by talking about Archbishop Carlo Vigano and what he said about the deep church in the Great Reset. Oh, man, so much good stuff there. If people want to know how the hierarchy really works and where all this came from, what you just said is an excellent introduction. And that's why I did that bit in chapter six. Um, I had to lay the groundwork for a lot of stuff in the previous chapters and then get to that chapter six. And I'll be expanding on this a little bit more in chapter eight about how this really works. But um, the Club of Rome First of all, it's not situated in Rome, but it's one of the satellite organizations of the Roman Empire, which never really went away and is still embodied in uh, the Vatican and its you know, secret orders and fraternity groups and all that kind of stuff. And there are many satellite organizations that work in league with that agenda. And I think that's really the head of the snake, no pun intended. Um or is there a pun intended? And the idea is that the Club of Rome at Dr. John Coleman is the man to go to to learn about it. Um, he, I learned so much from reading his books and watching his presentations on this. And the idea is that they're an offshoot of the Knights of Malta. That's really the head there of that manages that entire group. That's where the, they, they were funded and set up by these different organizations that work within the Vatican, in my opinion, as well as some private interests you know, these big billionaires and whatnot that are involved in 
bringing out a narrative to the public that will create the threat that justifies world central control. And they actually have a statement where they say, I think it's in the population bomb by John Ehrlich or one of their, actually, no, that's something else. There's another statement that they actually make the club of Rome in their own documents where they say humanity itself is the enemy and they look at humanity as the enemy. So they have a belief system. And I think there are people within that order that actually drank their own Kool-Aid and believe their own nonsense. But then there's also others that are sort of more the architects of these narratives that are using this fear porn as a way of uh, basically achieving this age old agenda of this cult to get the world into the position that they want for central control. I'll actually read that quote here. It's from oh, Alexander King and Bertrand Schneider in 1991. There you go. A report by the Council of the Club of Rome. And he says, in searching for a new, in searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea of pollution, that the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. That's the one. Thank you for reading that. Um, and what's interesting is the way they speak. You have to learn how to read like these. It's like corporate language. It's PR language. Like, or think of um, if you work in a, if you've ever worked in a business or worked in a corporation, they have like the human resources department and they always put all of these little leaflets and, and little emails about, you know, equality and make sure, you know, you show up to work on time and all that. And the way they word things. They speak to you like you're a child and everything is positive. Everything's on a positive note. And look at how they worded that in, in lurking, in searching for a way to unite us. So they'll say, we're here to unite the world. We're the uniters. That's their brand. The Knights of Malta, the, the church, the, you know, cause what are the, what's the church's aim been? What's the mandate of every religion in the world to unite humanity under the banner of their religion, right? So it's never like, there's never the fine print. They're like, we're going to unite the world. Oh, you're going to unite the world. That sounds great. We should be united, right? Humanity, one family. If we all work together, no more war, you know, no more this and that. Everybody's winning. That sounds great. But then you go, oh, right. Didn't Hitler want to unite the world? Didn't Mao Zedong? Didn't Nero? Didn't, you know, Genghis Khan? So it's like, oh, you want to unite the world, all right, but you want to unite the world under your authority and control. And they said, okay, well, we want to unite the world because of a threat. The threat that they dreamt up was global warming and climate change, that human beings were having such a grave effect on the climate with our various activities um, even though we're seeing the same signs of change on other planets in our solar system. So our SUVs and, you know, the cow farts and all that are really making it out of the atmosphere. It's amazing. But either way, they kept predicting massive disasters since the 70s, since they formed this group, the Club of Rome. And did you know that not a single prediction that these people have made have come true? Yet they continue to operate as though everything they've ever predicted has come true and that we have less than 10 years until the planet implodes because of all this carbon and all this stuff. And so now government policy all over the world, no matter what country you live in, is working with the sustainable development goals that came out of the United Nations, which were a byproduct of these papers and these uh, that computer modeling that was done that you saw there in the beginning by the Club of Rome who are an offshoot of the Knights of Malta. And that's why I shine the light on the Knights of Malta throughout the entire uh, Cult of the Medic series, because that is 
the group to look for when you look, you're thinking medical mafia, medical industrial complex. It's not Bill Gates. It's not Big Pharma. It's not any of these things. Those are good places to look at. There's definitely a hierarchy, but you got to go back to the origins of who invented, who invented even the word hospital, who invented the the symbolism that are used in medical literature and through all the medical institutions. Where does that come from? Do people know that there's an ancient cult? There's actually medical cults throughout ancient Greece, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, some of them good, some of them not so good. And that here we are operating under the purview of uh, this, you know, basically this Catholic military order. Um, people don't understand how this works. And so my job is to try to show them. And I think what they did was they created the first boogeyman, which was the climate thing, because again, that could be, you know, they could just manipulate statistics. They could easily keep uh, bringing the threat forward, which I think they did because it triggers something in our ancient brain, our ancient memory of mass cataclysm, trauma, shock that has happened on this planet that previous generations have lived through. And they're trying to reawaken that fear and anxiety by keeping the threat of, oh, it's global warming. The, 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 you know, the, the biosphere can't handle the humanity anymore. There's too many of you. You're the way you're living, which was the lifestyle that we sold you. Uh, the way you're living is not working with, with nature anymore. So, you know, instead of going to the great geniuses and fixing the problems, we're just going to eliminate humanity and program the remainers to operate in this new ideology. And uh, we can see them playing this out. And if this sounds crazy to people, just go watch my series. And, you know, you'll realize that they're looking to create fear of an enemy, an existential threat that will cause people to adopt things they wouldn't otherwise adopt, adopt policies, adopt government uh, officials, mandates, laws, um, enforcement that they wouldn't put up with under any other circumstance other than they had the crap scared out of them by this propaganda. And if it's not climate, then look, it's the next one, which is pandemic. And now do you see that they're playing those two pieces off against each other? So as soon as the vax started to roll out, this vaccine is death shot. All of a sudden, we saw massive changes in all cause mortality. I've even interviewed people that do underwriting for insurance companies. Um, and they're like, well, those insurance companies are the most accurate data on the planet because they make their money based off that data of risk assessment, et cetera. And they get all these all cause mortality numbers and they get people on them in a way that I don't think many other organizations do. And they've collected it and said, hey, we're over 1100% increase in all-cause mortality, 800% increase in cancers since the beginning of 2021, mind you, okay? Uh, it's different age groups, different regions of the world. What changed? The only thing that changed was that the entire planet was propagandized and badgered to death to go and accept these experimental jabs. God knows what these things are and what's in them and what their long-term effects are going to be. And yet already... They're dwarfing the number of deaths and injuries with in comparison to all of the vaccines combined based on what we've got. And we know that the reporting uh, centers that we look at are between one to 10 percent of the real numbers. So taking that into consideration, I even know people personally, people listening to this probably know people personally who healthy, no heart problems, no issues. Um, all of a sudden, something changed. And now they're getting blood clots. They're having heart attacks. They're dying. It's happening all over the place. It's, it's pretty frightening. And the only thing that's changed is that everybody went and got these shots. And so now they're saying, 
oh, well, the reason why all these soccer players are dropping in the pitch, the reason why all these perfectly healthy young people are just dying mysteriously in their sleep to the point where we have to label it a syndrome, sudden adult death syndrome, or uh, we see an uptick in deaths in young, healthy male teens just falling asleep, not waking up, dropping dead in the middle of a class at school or a cardio class or something like that, you know, at the track meets, they're dropping. And you know what their explanation is now in the media? The only way they can go is, well, it's because of the climate change. They're actually telling people, I saw this in one of the UK columns, where they were saying, there's actually, a, we've discovered a weird chemical in the atmosphere, God knows how it got there, uh, that is causing heart attacks. So it's the climate change is causing heart attacks. And when you listen to Bill Gates, he's going to tell you, and he's another minion for the bigger cults I've mentioned, he, he's going to tell you, well, the we're going to see more pandemics. And the reason we have to do all these pandemic exercises is because these pandemics are being uh, churned on because of climate change. So they've created a hybrid now where it used to be only climate change. And then they tried, you know, early 2000s, rolling out a few pandemics. People didn't really bite down on it. It was a nothing burger. (laughs) And, And so they went, okay, we tried that. But now they've got all the information and the ability to combine these two things to say, Here's the threat. And then when that starts to fail, who knows? Maybe they'll switch to something else. But this is an age old agenda of using fear. Very simple. Using fear to uh, create division, chaos and, and paranoia. And people go, hey, free me from this fear of this threat. And the government and this whole cult is there to go, hey, we're the ones that have we're the elites. We know how to do it. You don't. So don't question us. Follow what we tell you to do. And we'll take you to the promised land. And yet their promised land is this great reset, which is an absolute uh, dystopian nightmare if you know what you're looking at. Yeah, it absolutely is. And there's a couple of things I want to weave into here. I've been thinking lately, uh, thanks to my friend Dylan Sicosio, he put this idea in my head and I'm like, wow, that really does fit. That a lot of the plagues of the past that we have given to us is like, oh, this is why we know that there could be a pandemic in the future. I'm not saying it's a blanket statement, pun intended, because we're talking about smallpox and Native Americans, but I'm not saying it's a blanket statement across the board. But I do think that we could be looking at uh, the case of actually just conquerors coming in and just wiping out entire tribes or entire groups of people, putting them to the sword and then saying, oh, they all got sick. I don't know what happened. And then they wrote the history book and told us that that is the truth of it, you know, and this could explain why the depopulation is needed in the first place, because in the sense of the uh, the old tribes that got wiped out, the people may have been warlike, ready to defend themselves, you know, and that you couldn't really control them with governance unless you totally broke their spirit and took them out nine out of ten and then reindoctrinated those who are still alive in a more easy way because there's fewer of them. You brought this up in the idea of like this human stampede in your documentary series that Mm. the guard, the guards at the gas chambers, there's like two guards and hundreds of people. Right. And if people would just rise up in a mass and do something together, then they would break free. So I think you have the idea that you need to keep the population continually whittled away so that the mass is easier to guard in the open air prison that we call Western countries. So there's that. And then there's the side of it of chemical castration that is part of the deep, like, you know, stopping it before they're actually born, keeping them from being born. I believe that this listener was somebody who also checks out your work and Michael's work. But one of my 
live chatters and a couple days ago brought up that if you take the G out of eugenics, you get Unix. And we, the G is, the G is actually serpent like when you look mm-hmm. at, you know, the design of that glyph and also it representing many things could represent the generative principle itself. So you're slaying the serpent and you see this symbolism in the Knights of Malta all over the place and they're in their temples and whatever that they've got going on. You see like a sword through a serpent. So this connects back to ancient, ancient cults of the, the priests castrating themselves to become better servants of the goddess. So I think that castration, ritual castration, chemical castration, whatever the case may be, the slaying of the serpent, that's one of the meanings of that symbolism. I'm sure that it's multiple layers of meaning. I'm not saying that's the only meaning, but you know, can we speak about that? The, uh, the history of this idea of deleting the generative principle. Really well summarized. And that's pretty mind blowing. The idea I've never thought of it like that. So cheers to that person who wrote in about the idea of eugenics. Missing the G is eunuch. Um, we did a series, Michael and I with Ralph Ellis on this getting into the eunuchs and, and the history of that. And it's a, uh, it's a goddess cult. That's what they do. And to serve the goddess, you have to, uh, you know, disable your manhood, right? And what do we see happening in the culture right now with uh, all this chemical and physical castration of uh, children who maybe, you know, under the influence of all the propaganda they're bashed with in school and in the media say, hey, I wonder what it would be like to be the opposite sex. And the parents are like, oh, well, we can make it happen tomorrow. Let's book the meeting and get this done. Um, it's it's unbelievable what's going on, that the influence in the culture is a, is the influence of this death cult. And it is a death cult and it is a serpent cult. When it comes to the symbol of the serpent, though, we have to make the distinction because all symbolism is interpretive and we have to know that these are dualistic symbols, right? But the serpent, in one sense, is a symbol of wisdom in the ancient world, which would be one reason why the pharaoh would wear the serpent coming out of the third eye on the crown was it's the idea of it's the crown of wisdom right? He's activated the wisdom of the serpent. Um, in the Bible, even the Christ is, is said to say, you know, be ye wise as serpents. Why is he talking about being wise as serpents when allegedly the arch enemy of all Christians is a serpentine being, the devil, right? So they're indicating that it's a dualistic symbol. Um, so then there's how these people interpret the symbol. And they look at wisdom as knowledge that is held, that they have the knowledge. That's why there's all this kind of stuff with the Illuminati symbolism you see all over Hollywood is they're telling you, we have the knowledge. You don't, you're the servant class. You're the slave class. We're the elite class and we know best. And you get even hints of this from like Rockefeller's memoirs when he's talking about it'd be preferable for us to have uh, an advanced, you know, geopolitical, financial elite running the world than having, you know, free, free votes and things like that. Um, but yeah, the symbolism of the serpent could also be medicine. It was a medicine symbol. I mean, look at the staff of Hermes, look at the, you know, there's the ancient cults from Greece, uh, that were all featured with serpent symbolism. Look at the bowl of Hygieia, which is a bowl with a serpent wrapped around it, or even the cup, the cup of Hygieia. It's a cup with serpent wrapping around it. So in one sense, they respected the serpent because they looked at it as it was just the symbol of it. They also were talking more about the serpent in the sky 
And that's another thing, the astrology of it, the, the, the way they looked at the, at the, at the signs, the Dracos, the whole thing. Um, we yeah, I like, I really like the word ophiolatry to describe all that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and so, and so you have medicine and wisdom as you know, the surface layer symbolism, the exoteric symbolism, and there's an esoteric element to it, but basically people look at that as, Oh, that's not a bad symbol. Um, but then there's also the serpent races, the serpent bloodlines, the serpent kings and queens. This is the getting into the aristocracy, the black nobility, that history. And then you got to look at who uses the symbolism because the symbol of the snake was also interpreted in many cultures as actually being the symbol of tyranny. And it was because of the behavior of the snake. You know, we're not dissing snakes here, but the behavior of the snake was very, uh, well, first of all, it was reptilian. So there's the old thing between the reptilians and the mammals, right? And then uh, you've got the idea that the way the snake operates as a predator. So the snake will often use its venom in multiple, some snakes are have different types of uses for venom. Some will simply just blast it out at you, almost like as an aerosol to put you in a sort of like a, it tones you down. It, it shuts you down. It's like, you see this even in the jungle book where he's like, you know, hypnotizing the guy, trust in me. Right. Um, and then, but that's just a reality of how one of the predatory functions of these snakes, there's the King Cobra, the shooting of venom. Then of course, when they bite you, it, it causes a paralysis to the bot, to the victim. So usually you're very alive and aware when that snake, if it's one of these big ones starts to eat you or whatever. And then, you know, other, other venoms will just kill you within less than three seconds. It'll just stop your heart. Um, so it's interesting that, and then of course the snake sheds its skin and has a new appearance. Um, you know, there's all these different things with snakes that they looked at that certain cultures would look at the snake as an evil symbol. It was also something that ancient man feared, uh, being a very, very hard predator to track, um, and deal with. And then they adopted this symbolism in a dualistic fashion in many of these different traditions. Whereas these people, um, oh, before I continue on that, what's really interesting is you can see certain symbols. Like if you go to Fort Bragg in the U.S., there's a statue there called the Bronze Bruce. And it's a soldier from, it's either World War I or World War II, I can't remember, who's crushing the head of the serpent. And in the write-up on the actual Fort Bragg statue, it discusses how the serpent was viewed as the symbol of tyranny. And so this is the symbol of freedom crushing the neck of tyranny. So that's what it meant to them, at least on the first, on the top level. Um, so it's there. And then when it comes to medicine with serpent symbolism, I mean, it's all over the place. And I must remind everybody that snake venom was the first component of biological warfare going all the way back to medieval times and before. It was well known to be a component that could be used in a variety of ways to, um, you know, you could stun somebody, you could knock them out, you could kill them, you could do all kinds of stuff with this, with this. And this was well known by these, uh, apothecaries. And these apothecaries were the, they were the ones that had a knowledge of herbs, a knowledge of these different, uh, psychedelics, uh, a knowledge of these poisons and venoms, a knowledge of how to, you know, it's, it gets really disgusting with like the mixing of menstrual blood with this bat thing and this serpent thing. It's basically witch, everything you heard about witchcraft. Uh, in a negative sense, uh, is what you'd start to hear when you start researching these ancient apothecary groups 
And some of them were there to try to learn how to derive elements of nature for healing. And some of them were there to, you know, by command of the king and the popes and whatnot to derive weapons of war, biological war. And so you start to think, what about these black plagues? What were they really? You know, uh, the spread of diseases. There's many explanations uh, for it, but you really start to think, how long has this campaign of using this knowledge to keep the population under control? And that doesn't just mean, you know, hurting people like cattle into a fenced area and making sure they do what they're told. It also means controlling the numbers, controlling who breeds. This is the ancient eugenics program of we want the fit and we want this type of human. We want this type of slave. So we want to get rid and trim the fat. And they found very early on, they could use these different elements within nature as a biochemical warfare device. And I think that that actually is where we get into the birth of the modern medical industrial complex with the Rockefeller syndicate and, and all that stuff. So it's a big story to tell. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to go more into that story, but let's, uh, I want to back up into the castration symbolism more because I feel like it's such a vast rabbit hole once you explore it. So first of all, there is a symbol that everybody in around the world knows, and it is the Mickey mouse head, the three circles, you know, the black three circles, right? And researchers of the past, like the late Tracy Twyman have pointed out that this, the Mickey mouse club, which also looks like the suit of clubs and the cards, which is the fire sign, of the uh, the four suits actually resembles the scar left behind after castration. And I just happened to be looking at this uh, Star Wars animated series from the early 2000s. I think it's even before Disney owned Star Wars. I could be wrong about that. And there is this episode of this cartoon where they're fighting against a giant, like it's a King Kong type of, of a scenario where a giant serpent monster is attacking their big city and after they slay the serpent, the uh, the ships are hovering above it. And check this out. The big serpent is dead oh and the God. three spotlights are on it, making the Mickey Mouse head. Wow. Yeah. So they're putting the symbolism in everywhere. And I think part of it is that, like you said, the population control aspect is important. You need to make everybody believe that the, the uh, idea of sexual energy is in of itself evil. And then also keep people away from exploring the possibility that there is something to the control of sexual energy or the internalization of sexual energy that can help somebody be uh, stronger mentally and physically if it's uh, properly channeled, so to speak. But that is the exoteric, you know, that's reserved for the higher ups. And for the, the masses, you just get the idea that <laughs> your private parts are bad. Right. All that is bad. And even in the lower levels of the initiatory priesthoods of the mystery schools, like in Egypt and elsewhere, the priests were discouraged or forbidden from imbibing alcohol or eating meat with the belief of and other things, too, with the belief that these things give you more uh, lusty energy, if you will, more make you more interested in in women. So there's just consistently this idea that to serve the goddess properly, you also have to like uh, be abstinent or not even physically possible uh, to, you know, consummate sexually. And then, so we're talking about this dark goddess, the symbolism of the dark goddess is so replete through the pandemic stuff, especially in the words 
So the first one I want to bring up is just with the mask thing, right? The whole (laughs) same time that the masks came up, we get the whole idea of I can't breathe coming up with the BLM movement, right? Right. There's literally people holding up signs that say, I can't breathe while they're wearing a cootie's mask. And it isn't it amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) Right in your face. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Right on your face. Yeah. So what are the, uh, one of the versions of this dark goddess is Hecate. And she was the chief goddess presiding over magic and spells. In fact, pillars at crossroads and doorways were called Hecatea and were said to ward away evil spirits. So she's a goddess of pharmakia and a dark goddess at that. And think about the word suffocate, respiratory illness, wearing a mask, suffocate is basically right there in the word. So there's like, there's that, there's the fact that. The Medusa is the serpent headed, you know, evil witch monster that Perseus slays. The Medusa is Med USA. I mean, that blew my mind. It's all right there. I'm going to have to thank Gabriel, uh, my buddy Gabriel, for giving me some of these insights because they're really, really helpful. But on top of that, Perseus, the one who slays the Medusa, he's the Perseus, right? He's holding a bag with the Medusa head in it. And oh, that's the origin of how, yeah, the woman carries a purse. Well, now men do apparently. Yeah, there's that aspect of it. You know, there's the fact that the uh, the snake venom is paralytic and the Medusa head, when he pulls it out of the bag, it par- turns you to stone, right? There's the aspect of Perseus related to persons, which has everything to do with the way that the legal system, black magic sorcery is constructed with the artificial straw man, the two dimensional realm of your identity on paper. And that could be woven in and connected to the whole idea of graphene, the two-dimensional material graphene and how that's part of this whole system. But I was just thinking too how (laughs) this is something also that Gabriel put up, but when in Ready Player One, this movie Ready Player One and in video games in general, whenever a enemy is defeated or you you beat another player, they explode and coins fly everywhere. So in a sense, like, the this system that is treating human beings as livestock has turned all of us Perseus per, turned us into the purse. We are the resource ho- vessel holder for the system that has you know Knights of Malta, for example. They've been involved with coinage, medicine, religion, education, military, mercantilism, uh, naval power. They they cover all those bases and. There's just a lot there <laughs> in the symbolism. And that's just like a small slice of the pie. That is fascinating. I'm going to have to bring maybe you and Gabriel on at some point to break all that down. Cause that, that stuff, like it just, I've looked at so much of this over the years. And if we understand symbolism and etymology, it, it, that's your disclosure. That's where you're going to find it. Cause they tell you the whole step of the way what they're going to do. And that's because they believe they have paralyzed everybody already with that snake bite already just even on a consciousness level let alone any kind of biological warfare of spraying the sky spraying the crops altering things you know the gmo uh altering humans over periods of time and possibly even putting stuff in our water spraying it all over who knows right it's what do you do when you surrender you stop fighting you you're basically paralyzed right right sir Serpent, sir, <laughs> sir actually means Lord originally. That's right. It, it goes back to the Phoenicians and their city 
which people pronounce as tire, but it's actually sir, T-Y-R-E is pronounced sir. And the uh, surrender, you know, you are under the Lord, surrender. That's perfect because that's what we are. We're, we're, we've been put in a position of surrender and look at us surrendering our rights, surrendering our nations, surrendering our economies, surrendering our minds and our bodies to an experiment that uh, was, was basically we've been put in under duress, but people aren't having that instinct, that usual instinct to fight back because they've already been paralyzed, especially when you look at the situation with men today. You know, there's been a there's been a particular campaign about how to target the male and how to target the female. And you freeze them in two different ways. Right. And this has happened. And this is why we're in this situation. And getting into all the symbolism and stuff is really key to unlocking the way these people think. Okay, And when we learn how they think and how they operate and what their underlying belief is, just like we were talking about Club of Rome. Well, the reason they're justifying what they're doing is because they've already declared humanity as the threat. And so that is what started your UN agendas, your World Economic Forum, Great Reset, New World Order. That, that's the premise. But that premise is even another deception because what they're selling isn't even true. And yet the whole world buys it because they've been already paralyzed in their mind. This was a psychic attack first, right? And so if they can keep you demoralized, if they can keep you distracted, if they can keep you entertained, and if they can keep you in fear, then they've got you and you're just a, you're a creature on their farm. And I've often characterized what's going on as though this planet is essentially a farm has been turned into a farm. It doesn't mean that's our destiny. It's just what happened. We got sort of hijacked by pirates, real pirates. Um, funny, they even use pirate symbols. And they were the pirates uh, like of the Caribbean and they have hijacked our everything, our politics, our economy, the media, the education system, the food supply, the whole thing over a long period of time. And that's what we're waking up and we're learning. And to the, what I'm to the happy pirate to thing see, real quick, the pirates are the pirates, the ones with fire. Pire is per pure. fire. Fire. It gives right. us also in Greek, the word for purity. So the fire purifies, they wear white fire leaves behind white ashes and on top of that, we're talking about a club. It's one big club and you're not in it. And the club, the Mickey Mouse head, is the symbol of fire in the suits of cards. Right. Yeah, it's all there. It's all there right in front of our face. And so when we get on to the fact that this is what this is, that it is a serpent cult, um, that they interpret that in a certain way and that they've left the clues everywhere because they, I believe they have to tell you. I think we talked about this last time. But really quickly, in this occult way of thinking, these people, part of their game and part of how they believe their natural law works, because natural law affects us all, good and evil, doesn't matter, um, that they have to disclose what they're doing. And so they'll disclose it in the media, in their symbolism. They'll tell you right to your face. This is why they don't mind you knowing about these pandemic preparedness exercises. They don't mind putting, like I just posted a clip from the X-Files. It was one of the newer X-Files episodes where they're literally talking about exactly what's going on with this pandemic. But like, I think it was like six years or something before. And they've been whistleblowing this for you know, in a lot of these different shows and movies, as we've done many dissections of that video games, it's in the pop culture because they're saturating the subconscious mind with the message. We are the Lords. We are the rulers. And, you know, you either toe the line or you're not going to make the cut. 
And uh, this is part of this programming and it's age old. There's nothing new about it. And what we have to do is put these pieces together so that we can expose it and uh, and do away with this, you know, and finally win and have freedom win the day. So I want to, I think because it's such a big conversation, maybe save the bulk of that for the second half. But in terms of the, I do want to return to the Venom aspect of this and Venom tech and all that. But before, maybe we can talk about the economic side of all this. We already brought up the whole Perseus and and all that. But BlackRock and Vanguard, this is something I haven't brought up on the show before. But these mega corporations, I mean, just the symbolism of the word BlackRock is enough for somebody that's astute but can we talk about that the uh the economic side how this is all really one system between banking medical industries mafias and governments and religions and all that yeah it it is that it's uh it's a syndicate you know and the it's so funny because when you start finding this out and you go to like yahoo finance you start looking up I don't care what it is, any company, the NBA, Pfizer, you know, uh, just anything. Mick Disney, what are the major stakeholders in those companies? Who are the major stakeholders? When you look at how like BlackRock, uh, I think it's either BlackRock alone or it's combined. They've got like 22 million, 22 trillion dollars in assets. Uh, they make us, they make a percentage. So BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, these investors, they make a percentage of literally every single purchase made on the planet Earth. I mean, I don't know how much more wealth you could possibly have in power. However, you have to remember that even those investment firms are still just the managing steering committees that work on behalf of the real, the Vatican Bank and the whole enterprise that's behind that, the real power players, um, the real private holder. So it's a, it's a conglomerate that works with government and corporate, which is actually the definition of fascism, by the way. Um, and so when you realize that they have taken over the economy, they started with the, you know, central banking system, getting all these companies into debt, interest bearing debt for generations, leaving the country completely, um, there's no sovereignty in a country that's managed by debt. You know, like you can't have sovereignty if you're in debt because now you're beholden to the debtor. Right. So you have that, that whole thing, you know, the creature from Jekyll Island, but then you have this modern outgrowth of the way that these big investment firms operate and how they don't have to directly own any company anymore. They can just get enough of their hands in the pie that they have a major say and seat at the table. And when you have assets like these companies do, you can literally play God with the market and the economy. And if you just think about what went down during this pandemic, what was the first thing they started to do without any scientific data, without any rhyme or reason, in my opinion, when you look at it, was they started to close small businesses. My small business was one of them. I ran a martial arts school. It got shut down on day one. Um, many other people that dealt in very much the same kind of goods and services as some of the big corporations that didn't have to close down. They got shut down. Why? Why would, why would a small business that could have maybe 10 to 15 people in it max be a massive health risk, but Walmart and Costco and Target are not, right? And who owns Walmart, Target and Costco? The same people that have a major shareholder in Pfizer, Moderna and GlaxoSmithKline. It's Vanguard and BlackRock, right? And so when you really see that, 
It's not that hard. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what the hell's going on. This was the biggest transfer of wealth in human history. This was the biggest pirating operation we've ever seen before. And speaking of pirating, what's the symbol of Vanguard? It's a massive ship. And I just call it the pirate ship. And don't forget, like you brought it up, the Templars and the Knights of Malta were both a seafaring uh, military order. They were the first shipping companies in there. They created the shipping lanes, the military shipping. Um, and they were working with these Silesian pirate groups and whatnot that worked on behalf of the crown or the Vatican that were out there. Uh, making sure that they kept order in the seas. This was the birth of admiralty law. It came from the seas, right? Where you're birthed, even your birth, you, you know, if the word birth has nothing to do with what we think it is. It originated on the seas. It was the birth of the ship, the ship births, right? And you're born through your mother's water, right? That's where you're birthed into a hospital that's run by the hospitalers who wear the white. Right. And I love this little bit I'm putting in chapter eight where Tessarian goes off on this interview. I did an interview with him on the snake, on the serpent call. It was like, oh, it is fucking epic, dude. It was like I asked him to come on for an hour to break down the serpent symbolism. It ended up being in a four and a half. Here's the history of the world. (laughs) It was dude. that was one of the best Imsar rants ever. Yeah. And I just kind of was like, okay, just go. And he drops this one bomb in there. I'm going to use a few snippets from this interview in chapter eight because it's just gold. Um where he's saying, hey, if you want to know how this works, I mean, just think of the symbolism of the chessboard, the checkerboard, the white and the black squares of knowledge. Yeah. He goes, well, you're born in white and you die in black. You're born in the hospital to the white Templar and you die in black to the black Templar. They've got, he's like, they got you both fucking ends, dude. And when you see it like that and you just look at the symbolism, it just hits you. And also never forget that law, what's this, what's the color that dominates the legal cult, cult of the bar? Well, it's black, the black law dictionary, black, black law dictionary. It's everywhere. When you look in black law dictionary, the definitions of white and black are quite revealing and they have nothing to do with your actual race or ethnicity. No, no, no. And it, it does have to do with knowledge and ignorance, masculine, feminine. Yin, look at a yin yang, right? Again, We have to remember that all these symbols and this knowledge of how to use symbols, they understand that symbols influence the psyche. They influence consciousness because there's a symbolic reservoir. And when they understand that humans interpret their life and their reality through symbolism, uh, then they just have to, if you want to control the, if you want to alter the fish tank, if you want to control anybody, so that knowledge could obviously be used to uplift humanity and all that. But if you need, if you have that same knowledge in the wrong hands, it can be used as a device of control. And that's what it's being used as. So they pillaged our great traditions and our knowledge and our symbols. And by our, I mean the good, the people that are here for freedom and truth, the servants of truth. They, they cannibalized and pillaged that symbolic archive, weaponized it and used it as a device to blind the masses with the light the blinding, the illuminist culture of or concept of blinding people with the light because they know humans like light because they think, oh, a sunny day. I like things in the light. They know we have horrible night vision, so we don't really like the dark. We're afraid of the dark. Um, we don't want to address our own shadow, our own inner underworld. So but because of that sort of handicap, they put us in the solarized world where everything's superficial. It's all right there. It's you know, we'll give you the life you wanted. All you got to do is kneel. This is sort of the big, uh, the big 
negotiation that goes on with all the heroes. All you got to do is kneel and I'll let you off the hook. And uh, of course, none of the great heroes ever did, but that's what they do. And it's also interesting how reptilian creatures will use camouflage to distract their opponent. They'll use, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll change their shape. Think of these geckos and different lizards and iguanas that can actually change color, um, different snakes and things like that as well, that they can hide in plain sight. That's another feature of these, this serpent symbolism that can be used in the negative where they can hide in plain sight. And that's what they're doing. That's why they put it out right in front of your face so that it's literally undeniable. And I'll finish this little bit with a, a great quote by Marshall McLuhan that I just threw up on my telegram where he summarizes it wonderfully. Just give me a second. I just want to pull it up real quick here where he says, uh, where did I put it? Well, that's the one about Klaus Schwab. We'll get to that later. Where is this one? Uh, I can't find it now, but basically he's talking about how, um, you know, all of this, uh, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but he's talking about how uh, basically everything that's hidden. Oh, he says the small secrets don't have to be hidden. The Or no, he said the small secrets do have to be hidden. The big secrets are kept secret by public incredulity. There it is. Uh, so he's there basically saying they, they hide the small secrets and the whole political war and culture war is about the small secrets. Everybody's trying to get to the small, but the big secrets, they don't have to hide those because they're so unfathomable to all these people that we hide it for them, right? Our own incredulity of just how big and powerful this is, is what keeps the big secrets hidden. And so my job and and your job is to try to uh, lift that from the shadows and bring it to the surface. Man, there's so much, dude. Uh, (laughs) Can't believe we're already coming to the end of the first hour. I just want to touch on the BlackRock thing a little bit for people. It's worth investigating the fact that BlackRock has uh, an AI platform called Aladdin. It's their their genie or their gin in the machine that is their way of making all the crazy trades that they do with the velocity that they make them in order to siphon money from or siphon wealth. <laughs> we could call monkeypox moneypox, right? So that's yeah, a huge aspect box, yeah. of it. I mean, BlackRock, first of all, that's a whole nother thing in itself too, because first the word rock is the Lord. The Lord is the rock. So that's the sir or the serpent. And then black, the black God has been the secret God of the mystery schools for time immemorial, whether it's Osiris depicted as the black God or the fact that Krishna, where we get the word Christ from, from the Hindus is actually etymologically meaning black. <laughs> Krishna means black. So there's a lot there. So BlackRock is definitely encoding their occulted god or the black sun, right? There's all of that. The black sun and or god. Or Mecca. What's what's what kind of black rock are we talking about in Mecca that they circumnavigate around all over the place? You know, what is that? Yep, the cube. Yep. The cube and cube f- pronounced backwards is book. We're talking about the book of life and the book of death. And which one did you get your name written in by these uh, all-powerful scribes? But we got to wrap up hour one. So, David, we're going to definitely get into more of the Venom tech and more of this talk about symbolism. There's a lot on the table. But first, let's give everybody your plugs to all the stuff you're working on and what's coming up that you're excited about. You know, you don't have to hold hold back. You don't have to be quick. But I know you have a lot going on. 
Well, thanks for that. And uh, time flies when you're having fun. Um, so yeah, my main website is dwtruthware.com. Just my initials, dwtruthware.com. Uh, I do a show every week live. I uh, usually do video logs and whatnot. Then I co-host the Great Unslaved podcast with Michael Tessarian. That's a paid service. It's a um, it's about six, seven bucks a month and you get access to thousands of hours of unique content you won't find anywhere else. And that's what keeps us working. And so we appreciate everybody that goes over there and you definitely get spoiled rotten. And then the project that I'm really proud of that I'm putting my whole heart and soul in is the Cult of the Medics documentary series. The first seven chapters are available at cultofthemedics.com for free. You can even download it and watch it offline and upload it to your channels and clip it up and share it with people. I made this public because... This information is very important and I'd like it shared as far and wide as possible so that we can help wake people up. Um, and I'm working really hard on chapter eight, which I'm calling underworld. And it's an analysis of the difference between the white market, which is the public market and the black market, the criminal underworld. And is there a relationship between the two? And also taking a deep look at that word underworld, you know, and how many different ways can we look at it? There's an underworld to this planet. There's a whole system of caverns and uh, tunnels and underground cities and networks and temples. And a lot of cults were born in the underworld. Um, we fled to the underworld to avoid cataclysm and war and invasion for centuries. So the underworld is a good place for hiding. There is the underworld of the secret uh, military programs and whatnot with the deep underground bases. There's uh, all the underground trafficking of drugs, weapons, people, and all kinds of things. Uh, there's the underground criminal world of some very dark things, the satanic networks that we're going to get into. And then there's also the underworld of your own psyche, the inner underworld process of the hero's journey. So when I'm, I'm basically putting all of that into one chapter and trying to dissect it for you um, and ex further expose the way this cult operates and also the solution for how we can fight back. And so uh, they can look forward to that. I'm hoping to have that done this month. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It's already been the hardest chapter for me to put together, but I'm hoping it'll be a nice uh, addition. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, it's all available at cultofthemedics.com. I'm so impressed with the work, man. I don't know that anybody has ever woven these things together in the way that you're doing it. I mean, many of us researchers so. see that these dots connect, but to put it all into the one big picture, to take, to roll the dice and see, uh, can I make this chapter eight actually cover the ground of the hidden underworld and make the connections that need to be made that, you know, we feel and sense and see these connections, but how do we almost like prove it? And you're doing incredible work, man. I've, there's a few things that get me as fired up as, uh, as your podcast and your attitude. And although we didn't talk a lot about solutions in this first hour, people should be very aware that if you go follow Truth Warrior, you're going to be excited, not afraid. You're going to realize your own power and you're going to slay these false serpents of doubt and of fear. And I'm really excited every time I hear you come on the air and I get to catch a live stream or something. Uh, I get this sense of energy <laughs> and this feeling that that uh, this is all not just going to be OK, but like that we're winning and that it's all unraveling before our eyes. So definitely people go check out Cult of the Medics, if nothing else. But there is a huge, huge body of work. David's been valiantly fighting the good fight against the cooties, pandemic scammers, and it's 
<laughs> it's a war that I think that we're capable of winning as long as we realize that it starts and ends in our minds and in our hearts. So David can't wait to get across to the other side with you. Um, maybe we'll even cover all the notes. I had five pages of notes, <laughs> awesome. but we moved pretty quick. I'm impressed with what we managed to do in the first hour and uh, yeah, stoked to get onto the other side. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, Chance. And I appreciate that. I'm glad that you're seeing that, you know, I'm trying to put out a positive message here. Not a, not a hopium pie in the sky thing. Very real, very grounded. Uh, very simply, the way out of this is in. That's really the truth here. So uh, thanks for, for having me. And we'll have to do this again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the entire podcast, making it all the way to the end. That's always exciting to me to know that the show was interesting enough that we're here together in my outro monologue. (laughs) I definitely appreciate the support. You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. I guess on the terms of support, if you wanted to help me out and get the show out to more people, I think this is a good one to show to the, uh, Friends and family that you might have that are waking up and asking questions about what is going on. I know that we definitely dive right into the deep end on this conversation, and that's kind of how I like to roll. But we got to look at these things. We got to take it all the way to the root. What is really behind this medical system, this mafia-run world, these corrupt governments, these religious institutions, the deep church, and all that? So. Really nobody better in the world to talk about this stuff than David Whitehead. There may be people that are as good, but there's nobody better. David Whitehead is a true champion, a true warrior, a truth warrior. So check out David's channel, Truth Warrior. You can find that everywhere that's not mainstream social media or YouTube. He's been kicked off of all that stuff, which is no big surprise because he's asking all the right questions. Find him on Rockfin. I think that's the best place to support him or people like me because Rockfin is currently still paying us for our content and uh, bringing people to their network. So that's amazing. We really like that. (laughs) It's nice to be compensated for this work because this research is arduous and it's a lifetime of research. And we are still, still a long way away from disseminating the truth to enough people so that the herd mentality can be reversed and we can understand our power as individuals to actually affect change in this world by changing our own lives. Right. So 
this was a big one. This was a big one in the plus extension. That's what I want to tell you about first before I get into maybe more of my thoughts that I didn't get to put in there with David. Appreciate David. His flow state is so strong. Like you just set him off on the topic and sit back and watch and he can really bring it. Love that. So plus interverse plus that is a thing that you can get on Patreon or Rockfin. The second hour of this interview and all the other podcasts that I put out that have an extension. And, you know, I put out a ton of free content, tons and tons of free stuff. The Marvel shows we've been doing, the Wednesday night vibrants, which are amazing. But for the main show, there's still this paywall between you and the extended hour because we need to have a channel together where there's a reciprocity possible. You know, uh, it's not that much. $5 a month on Patreon, $10 a month on Rockfin. And for the whole month, you can listen to as much of the extended content as you want, which is a pretty good deal. Stick around for longer than the month if you like it, because there's going to just continue being new stuff and the archives are huge. As a matter of fact, I think I just posted my 400th YouTube video. <laughs> so I've been at this for a while now and, uh, Feels like I'm just getting started, just hitting my stride, which I love. So anyway, the second hour with David, we actually went long. It was closer to an hour and a half. I feel like I should probably just book David for two and a half hours going forward since we always seem to have more than two hours worth to discuss just to fit it all in. And he was on only six months ago. If you didn't catch that episode, which probably a lot of you did if you've been following for a while, man, his... His appearance in December where we first talked about Cult of the Medics was incredible. It was such fire. But there was a lot left on the table. And in the plus extension on this one, we talked about his uh, chapter eight of Cult of the Medics, The Underworld. This is a dark chapter, it looks like. It's not out yet, but the whole human trafficking, drug trafficking, criminal underworld and how the criminal underworld connects to the corporate overworld. This is the real heart of the matter, honestly, that the black market and the white market are not really disconnected. So we talked about all that, including interesting stuff about like underground tunnel systems and what human resources really means. And we discussed the alchemy of all that in the dark inverted sense, the fountain of youth and the blood harvesting, not the most fun things to discuss, but we really do have to go there. And David also gave us a great overview of his vision for chapters 9 through 12 of Cult of the Medics, the final three chapters. That is some interesting stuff, too, because he's going to apparently be discussing his three possible scenarios for what is going on here. Is it a purely physical, greed-based, materialist wealth type conspiracy? Are there spiritual forces involved or are there off-world alien forces involved or some mix of the three? Definitely a fascinating idea. We had talked about human origins and genetic modification. Had a very, very interesting tangent into talking about vampires, literal vampires and energy vampires. And then I waited too late in the conversation maybe to ask him to go into this because there's so much research that he's done on it. But he was generous enough to stay on until he could really flesh it out. And that's how we got wound up going extra time. But he had a huge weave on the Venom tech question. 
He's recently interviewed people like Dr. Brian Artist, Dr. Tao Bronham or Braun, I think Tao Braun and Judy Mikovits about the snake venom connection and the corporations out there in the pharmaceutical world that are using animal toxins and venoms in their gain of function, dual use, quote unquote, virology research. So that was a lot. There's a lot of information on that. I can't really summarize it. It's too big. But a fascinating aspect of it was the connection between how venom affects the body and the brain and nicotine, actually. And uh, he had some anecdotal stories that seemed to suggest that the the nicotine connection is actually a strong vein of evidence that shows the whole envenomation aspect of this being accurate. And we did talk about the serpent symbolism and the history of the use of venom in the first hour a bit. So that was cool. But the plus extension on this one is big. And if you're already a supporter of David Whitehead, you might already be a Rockfin Premium member, which is great. means that you can tune into that if you want and get over there. Rockfin's the way to go. Patreon is a good option too, though. So I guess now I'm going to cover off some of the notes that I didn't ask him about or things that I found interesting from watching his shows, his uh, Cult of the Medics shows. Yeah, so first of all, he brings up really amazing stuff about the origins of uh, the Knights Hospitaliers and Hospitals and the Knights of Malta. And there's a quote from this documentary called The Order of the Alchemist that he references a lot during his uh, chapter six. And it says, the very basis of Freemasonry reveals a knowledge that is not just claimed to be from before the advent of Christianity, but was in fact based upon the knowledge that created Christianity. That is a fascinating thread to pull on. And it's one that I want to continue going towards because it looks like the advent of the church and the deep church, as we're calling it, the uh, corporation that is the corporation that is the Vatican worldwide corporation. Let me find this other quote about that. Yeah. So there's <laughs> shoot there's so many people that he quotes like archbishop carlo vigano about the deep church and about the um the corporatocracy that is the vatican but he one of the quotes is from avro manhattan where he says in his book vatican billions that the catholic church must be the biggest corporation in the united states and when you think about giant corporations or most people do they don't think about the vatican or the, the Catholic church. And this isn't a dig on people who identify as Catholic or whatever. Actually, there's a bridge here. And the bridge here that I want to make is that the organization of the Vatican and the new Roman empire, the occult Roman empire that's run through that city state that is within Rome is based on an ancient church, a church that preexisted their historical version of Jesus Christ. That in fact, the mysteries, this is a thing that I'm pretty certain of right now, that the mysteries were kept secret from the public because maybe there was such an, an improvement of a power differential for somebody who actually gained the knowledge of the occult that it was dangerous to just give to anybody because you needed to be in the right place spiritually and energetically to wield that knowledge without getting the whole God complex thing going on and trying to dominate your fellow man. And the way that that would work is because 
The knowledge of the occult is really the knowledge of psychology, but psychology on the universal scale. Recognizing the inner outer connection between how our own minds work and how our own energy works and how that is a part of the universal ether and influential upon the universal ether. And there's a, a back and forth flow there. But if we're not, if we're not sure that the Vatican and the Jesuits are definitely the mafia and connected to the, all the totalitarian types of governments in the world today, he points out in his, Dave points out in his documentary that Hitler has been quoted and saying that he modeled the Third Reich after a lot of elements of the Vatican and the Catholic Church. He said something along, Hitler said something along the lines of that was the sort of the ideal or a standard to live up to. So that is very interesting. Very interesting. Some things that we could have talked about more maybe would have been the siege tactics of the current engineered food crisis. We didn't get into that, but if you guys have been paying attention, you're probably seeing that that's a thing. I mean, we, I think we touched on it, but we didn't go deep into that subject. And maybe it's not necessary because those of us who are waking up know to disconnect from those corporate food sources anyway and start looking for our own sources, whether we grow our own food or we work with uh, local farmers, ranchers, or markets that will bring the local food to us. Way better option. Way, way better. Way, way better option. But it is fascinating how many of the eminent thinkers in U.S. history going all the way back to like the 1700s and even Canadian history have been warning about the mob that is the Jesuit order, that secret societies like the Jesuits are actually what intelligence agencies are modeled after, and they're all connected. I don't remember who I heard say this, but it makes perfect sense that the three organizations that we consider the mafia secret societies and uh, <laughs> I guess corporations kind of work this way too, but just like occultists in general, they all work on the method of deceit as their primary operating procedure. So just that alone, the fact that deceit is their playbook should show us that there's a definite likelihood of connection between those types of organizations in the world. I also would have loved to hear David talk more about the whole Canadian trucker movement, because I know he has a lot of positive experience with the people that were doing that work. And, you know, we can't like protest our way to freedom or ask big daddy government to let us let us have what we want. You know, we got to just do the right thing and trust that universe has our back and that we already have the sovereignty and the freedom. But all those people coming together the way they did in the peaceful way that they did in the supportive way that they did, the helping each other, it really, really highlighted just how tyrannical the World Economic Forum cronies in the government of Canada really were because they crossed so many lines in trying to stop that movement. And it is only to our benefit to expose that to the world so there's a lot of positive aspects of that movement. I don't even want to call it a protest. It was like a rally, right? A rally is different than a protest. I like that better anyway. So I will try to get my way towards the end of this outro. <laughs> I could say so much more, especially on the whole vampire question that we got into in the plus extension. That is a topic I'm fascinated in. I actually just watched the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. 
And it was really weird how it connects with other fiction that I'm familiar with, like the Spider-Verse comic book series, the the run in the Spider-Man comics where they had a whole Spider-Verse thing, multiple Spider-Men from the multiverse fighting against interdimensional multiversal vampires who dress like Victorian era elites and they fed on spider people and the movie everything everywhere all at once has a kind of similar thing going on. And maybe I can talk about that with somebody soon, that movie and break it down. I know Cheney would like that. <laughs> Cheney's super into that movie. So yeah, the whole question of multiverse and vampires and jumping between bodies or versions of ourselves or possible, the possibility that there are occult groups that have figured out or kept alive the knowledge of reincarnating without losing your memories or losing your previous existence in some way, like purposeful reincarnation or how that could connect into the reality of test tube babies and artificial wombs. And that maybe, maybe there's a connection to all of that, like the sterilization aspect of the cowpoke program, possibly trying to create empty vessels for an invasion of the body snatchers type scenario where beings from alternate frequencies, different channels in the, in the universal bandwidth spectrum of existence could have a a body to take on. I don't know. Most important thing that I want to touch on from the plus extension in the outro here, in case people didn't hear it is that we came to a, I won't say conclusion, but a perspective that I find very helpful Because David brought up the question of like, what is the point if these are spiritual, if this is a spiritual war, if they're possibly spiritual beings that are influencing humanity and trying to control this realm, what would the point be if you're already existing in a quote unquote higher octave of reality or a spiritual realm? Why would you need to control physical resources? What's up with that? And my take on it is that there's not a separation between the spirit world and the physical world. Matter is condensed spirit. And just like the Schelling quote, nature is visible spirit and spirit is invisible nature. There's not really divide in the whole jive of the priest class for eternity. Ever since they became, you know, sort of wielding a power differential against us. To divide and conquer us was to create that cut in our minds between spirit and matter. And you know what? I didn't really finish this thought. (laughs) So I just realized I didn't really finish this thought, but I brought up the whole idea that the church is using the mystery tradition and that the mystery tradition of the past, you know, the occult is knowledge of psychology and that there's a power differential when somebody really truly understands universal psychology and someone else doesn't. But the idea with the mystery traditions is that the Initiate has the same scriptures to work with as the adept and as the master. But they, at different levels of the path, you understand that scripture differently. You know more layers of the meaning and the symbolism. And in fact, your understanding of it or the meaning of it could completely flip on its head between the lowest level and the highest level. So I think what happened is that, like I said, this quote from the Order of the Alchemist documentary, which is worth looking up, is a pretty cool documentary that the basis of Freemasonry reveals a knowledge from before the advent of Christianity, but is the same knowledge that created Christianity, that the external church, the 
the mafia version of the church took the information from the mysteries and created a church where it was putting those scriptural stories into literalism and a historical fact, making them quote unquote historical fact as a way to basically wield the, the knowledge as a club. <laughs> it's one big club and you're not in it in the sense that if you get the people to think that they've got the knowledge now, the secret knowledge of the mysteries and they know the truth of reality, but what you're giving them is just the lowest rung of the ladder of understanding and only one interpretation that's dogmatic. Well, now you've got people that could become zealots and think that they know it all and think that they, they've solved their, their spiritual existence and that their reward is on some other side and they just need to follow the rules on this side in order to get there. But I don't think that there's other this side and that side. I think it's all <laughs> two sides of the same coin. We're on, we're in both worlds at once. I don't know. And now I've been rambling for quite a long time. I'm going to wrap this up. I would love to work with you guys in one-on-one sessions for sound healing or reading some tarot and I Ching cards. If you guys are up for that. So hit me up chance at interversepodcast.com. You know, I've been doing a lot of the biofield tune-ups for people and it's very effective. I just finished a session only an hour ago. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff that I can wave tuning forks around in my living room as somebody possibly hundreds of miles away can have a uh, change in their energy field and a reaction in their body and all of that in a positive shift. Amazing stuff. Also, I got to give a shout out to Gabriel, my man, Gabriel, Slick Dissonant. He gave me some good pointers on ideas in terms of symbolic things to bring up with David. And I did mention him, you know, passing me some of these ideas during the chat with Dave, but shout out again, Gabriel, you the man. Love you, buddy. And now I'm going to play us out tonight, today, whatever it is, when you're watching this with a song called Dark Matter by Les Friction. And this is a song that David used at the beginning of chapter six of Cult of the Medics. I thought it was pretty cool. So I hope you enjoy the track. I hope we can work together with some energy work, energy healing, if you're interested in that. And I'm excited about what's coming next for Interverse. We got, as always, a lot of good shows on the docket. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget out there that you're a vessel and container for universal ether or source. And you've already got all the sovereignty. You're already a fully embodied spiritual being. You're both body and spirit. And there's not two sides of that. There's just you are what you are. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Everything is happening as it should. We are. We are unlocking, unblocking the things that we've hid from ourselves because we're afraid of our own power. And now it's time for us to take responsibility for our own power and really embrace that we are everything everywhere all at once. And that that's actually just as meaningful as it could be meaningless. All depends on your perspective. You know, you black pilled or are you white pilled? Or maybe maybe you're a clear pill, like you're not taking pills. That's the best option. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's get out of here. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Take your aim. 